This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hi, I'm Hanif Baharuddin and this is Gigi Well Played, BFM's video game show. Later on the show, I'll be speaking to Yue Peng, founder and director of Kurechi, an award-winning independent game studio that has created popular mobile games such as Kings League, Tiny Guardians and Post Night. But before that, here's a recap of some of the biggest news in the world of gaming with Daryl Ong and of Nail Ting. Hello, Daryl and off with you and we're back with some big news from the industry. Let's start out with a hacking story that involves the makers of the upcoming Stalker 2 Heart of Chernobyl. The developers GSC Gameworld, who's based in Ukraine, were hacked by a group from Russia recently. The hackers going by the name Vesnik TSS leaked a few game development images from Stalker 2 on Russian social media with a threat Make changes by March 15th or tens of gigabytes of Stalker 2 data will be leaked. The hackers demanded the developers to reintroduce Russian localization and revert back their decision to not sell Stalker 2 in Russia upon release. These decisions were made by GSC almost a year ago since the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Mm, GSC then released a statement that they remain adamant with their decision and continue their unwavering commitment to support their country, Ukraine. The statement then continues, and I quote, In the event of any leaks, we ask that you refrain from watching or distributing information about the game. Outdated and work-in-progress material may dilute the impression of the final idea that we have put on in the game. We encourage you to stay patient and wait for the official release for the best experience possible. We believe that you will love it. Stalker 2 has been delayed several times over the years, mostly due to the ongoing Russian invasion, which has led to the death of one of the studio's developers, Volodymyr Veshov. The game's currently aimed to be released in December this year on Xbox and PC. Hopefully, there's no more issues there hinders the development of this game despite the problem. Hmm, hopefully. Up next, an update on the situation involving Dark and Darker, which is a class base in the RPG that marries Escape from Tarkov with classic fantasy elements. The game is currently in early access with a full release scheduled this year. Developer Iron Mace Games have been accused of some illegal practices and it prompted the authorities to get involved. Iron Mace's studio was reportedly raided by the police over accusations that the developer stole code from from Nexon. The news of Iron Maze being raided came from a Yonhub News report. Essentially, Nexon believes that Iron Maze stole code from the company and is using it to build Dark and Darker. These concerns stem from the fact that Nexon was previously working on a game similar to Dark and Darker. This was back in 2021, titled P3. The game was eventually cancelled and ex-Nexon devs later found Iron Maze Games. The split between Nexon and the developers that created Iron Maze Games wasn't an amicable one. According to the Korea Junggang Daily, one of the ex-Nexon workers was caught leaking company files and even encouraged co-workers to quit and work on a game similar to P3. As word of the police raid began to circulate online, Iron Maze Games provided a statement in its Discord, which they also shared on Twitter. Mm, and that statement reads, Don't worry too much about what you're hearing regarding Nexon. Most of what you see on the internet will not be accurate. There will be no delay in the development and there is nothing to worry about. It's currently unclear what the result of the police raid was or what will happen in this saga. And that's the latest update on the current situation between Iron Maze Games and Nexon. I doubt that will be the last update we'll get from this story, but for now, Dark and Darker is still targeting a launch on PC later this year. 
Last but not least, while a lot of people are enjoying HBO's The Last of Us, we have a bit of news involving the video game counterpart, specifically the upcoming multiplayer spin-off of the franchise that might make its way to the PS4. This is despite the fact that the PS4 is nearly a decade old, the industry has yet to fully move on from the last generation of hardware it seems, which is not really a bad thing right, considering how many PS4s are out there still. Mm. But back to the story, a job listing on the Naughty Dog website suggests that The Last of Us multiplayer could be coming for both the PS5 and, as like we mentioned, the PS4. The company is looking for an associate multiplayer quality assurance tester and states that applicant must have working knowledge of PS4 and PS5 systems. While having an understanding of the PS5 makes sense, it is surprising that they want people to have an understanding of PS4 as many probably assume that this game that we have yet to see even any gameplay of would just be a PS5 game. While there's a chance that that's the case and this is just a very general job description, it wouldn't be totally surprising if the game was coming to PS4 too. Mm, the console still has a massive user base and this multiplayer spin-off of The Last of Us started as a mode that would have been included in The Last of Us Part 2 which was released on PS4. The bones of this game may very well exist on PS4 but even if that's the case, Naughty Dog could have certainly just moved on to PS5 exclusively if they wanted to. Either way, we're expecting to hear more about this project later this year so we have some more clarity hopefully in the upcoming months. Right, Darren, off with you on the news. Back to you, Hanif. Thank you very much, Daryl and Ofnil. At close to 14 years old, Kurechi can be considered a veteran in the indie mobile game industry here in Malaysia. They have created a lot of successful and award-winning IPs including Kings League, Tiny Guardians and their latest project, Post Night. Without much experience, they surely have seen and observed how the mobile gaming landscape has evolved over the years, so I managed to have a chat with its founder and director Yi Wei Peng over Zencaster to hear his thoughts on the industry. Yeah, I think it's like a long and meaningful journey. Because uh, I think we go through a, a long period where we struggle for different things. Like since the very beginning, like we go all the way from struggling just to complete and publish the game, and to now it's actually like a, to 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 the time that we try uh, try out like making games and complete it is not a difficult things anymore. But it's more like how to make uh, outstanding games that they will nowadays. The game is there's a lot of tons of good game out there. So it's like need people need need attention. Yeah. Mm, yeah, and and to be fair, the the team has been quite successful, right? In terms of in terms of the kind of IPs that you've produced, the kind of games that you've produced, um, yeah. So so maybe you can help chart the growth of the company. You know, especially with more than you know, if I count it correctly, more than five IPs under your belt right now. Yeah, I think like uh, actually go, I actually go and count about it. Like I actually lost count about how many games we make. It's more, it's not a lot. It's more like a, we create a lot of things and then it's, it's actually we seldom make up one or two games. Uh, so now, for now, it's actually we have nine games in total that they actually publish. We actually definitely uh, uh, develop more, but it's just that uh, it's not all games actually made it up to the final stage. Uh, so I think the two popular titles that we have, like most people would get to know us, is actually through Kings League, uh, Post Night, or maybe Tiny Guardian. So we have uh, the three games. And uh, I think for Kings League, we have multiple games in the series. Uh, post night we have the first and second one. The basically uh right now we are still actively working on post night two. We actually just published it in two zero one to December, so it's about like one year plus. Mm, yeah. So so that's the latest game under your belt currently, right? Uh, yep. Post night two. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, I find it quite interesting that I think with post night, especially I mean, based on I think your, your one of your previous experiences with PFM last time, you said that post night was the first game where you shifted from a paid model to the freemium model, right? Um, I'm going to touch a bit more on that later, but I'm I'm quite interested to hear how you mentioned just now that um, you developed a lot more games, but not all of them made it into the final stage, I suppose. And I assume final stage is is when it's available for for gamers and consumers to to play, right? Um, is this common in in the industry for people to develop IPs, develop games, and having to shelve them later? I think uh, it really depends because uh, but in general, uh, let's say if we call for the global scale, is quite common. Uh, I think there's this saying that 80% of the game didn't make it out there. So uh, I guess it's, it's a long journey uh, from actually all the way from developing it to start testing it uh, and then eventually uh, iterate and publish it, right? So there's a lot of different milestones that can kind of like stop you from proceeding further. Like for example, you have ideas, you think it's cool, you try to make prototype. But then after you prototype it, it actually doesn't work out. Then maybe that's where people would stop. Uh, maybe some people will do more prototype and then able to move on. And then along the developments, there's this, you know, uh, a lot of things can happen. Uh, it can be technical issues. It can be financial issues. It can be all kind of different things. And then that would make, like, you know, stop you from proceeding further. Like even if you make it through there, and after that, uh, before you put it out, you will actually do testing. Uh, yeah, during the testing, then you will then also like evaluate whether uh, it's worth to concede, uh, continue to invest more, either to publish it or to get a publishers. So that is another point because if you, you're able to go through that one, then yeah, then you can put it out. Yes. Is this common across all platforms or is it more common just among, I guess, mobile developers, I suppose? I think I would say uh, it's common across all different games, but then uh, for Mobile game, there's this one thing that is more like, um, how do I put it? Is like for mobile game, usually people will do soft launch. Uh, so there's actually, a, a, especially for the company that have a lot of resources, right? Uh, they would cut off the game sometimes after they soft launch, they don't get the number that they want. And then they will just, instead of releasing it, they either uh, restart or like, uh, like kind of like set it back and then make it better and put it out. So, so, for them, it's actually like uh, if they want to publish it, right? They want to make sure that it's worth their time to actually market the game. They don't want to just put out a game and then it's just not doing so well because technically, once you put out a mobile game, you want to do a lot of advertisement to get a lot of users or players. Uh, and those are times as well. So they would rather uh, make sure that it, this game is actually scalable and then yeah, they go all in with it. Yeah, whereby if you talk about more PCs and all that, because uh, the maybe the, the, the way that you try to sell against the different, so um, like you already completed, you can just put it up there, right? So I think because mobile often is being related to game as a service, you have, you want, uh, the developers would like to run it like uh, like constantly having updates and all that, right? But if you, once you test it, if it's not doing well in the beginning, maybe, is not worth continuing to servicing the game. But it really depends. For example, actually for us uh, here in Malaysia, we really don't have a lot of privileges to just cancel off the project. Like most likely the, the resources we have, right? And this is the only game that we have. Like if we complete it, we have we, we have to put it up. Right? It's not like a, we have a lot of resources that we can 
afford to create multiples and then only trying to push out the best that we have. Mm. Yeah, you use a term that's pretty controversial these days, maybe in non-mobile game uh, industry, I suppose, you know, games as a service, which I find quite interesting as well. And we're going to touch a bit more on that later. But but based based on what you've just described to me, it, it feels like to a certain extent, the, the lay of the land in the mobile gaming industry is slightly different in the sense that maybe to a certain extent, because um, there is a need to also service these games, um, th- there is that, you know, the, the soft launch uh, approach is, is perhaps quote-unquote acceptable and, and in fact more forgiving for developers? Is that is that a fair, I guess, uh, statement to make, I suppose? I think because uh, uh, people when people play mobile games, they, the, the kind of mindset is a bit different. So when you play for PC or console game, right, uh, you kind of like have this allocated time for it, like, oh, tonight I want to play my Steam games, right? So I will allocate an hour or two, I sit down and then I very focus and I play it. But when it comes to mobile games, right, uh, it's often it's actually you just download and then you just try it and like you played it within uh, the fragmented time, like, like you have five minutes, ten minutes, uh, and you play it that way, right? So uh, people take it less seriously when they play mobile games and they have less expectations. So if you do soft launch and all that, like uh, they will just try. I think they will just keep like, like my personally, I, I like to one shot, I go to the store, right? I do, usually don't just download one game. I will download a few games and then I try a few games and then I see which one the sticks and I'll continue it for a few days and then maybe I'll repeat this process again until I find one that I really like and I stayed it for a longer period. Uh, I see. Okay. Yeah, that, that's a very interesting point to bring up because I think to a certain extent as much as, yeah, the, the, because the approach of, um, especially among gamers themselves um, is pretty different. I mean, you have to also compete and um, perhaps uh, fight for their attention span, right? Because then, you know, someone can just download a game and then play it for 10 minutes and decided that, okay, maybe that, this is not for me. So, does that make it more challenging? Especially when you take into factor that the mobile um, space itself these days is pretty competitive with a lot of games, new games being released every day, right? Yes. Uh, I think the, there's this saying that I actually share with my team nowadays that actually uh, our real competitors often is not uh, games. Is actually the other entertainment like Netflix, all that kind of thing, because we are actually fighting for the time. And often sometimes, uh, the, the players actually play the games while watching the shows and all that as well. So, uh, and sometimes the game is actually fun, but because they have the attention on the show itself, right? Either one, uh, maybe either it makes the show wasn't that interesting or you make the game wasn't that interesting because you, you miss out the important part. Uh, yeah, it's actually like, like keep shouting, like, I'll pay attention to me and then uh, try out the cool thing. So for mobile, I think it's often because it's free, right? So a uh, player doesn't commit anything to it. Uh, so they have less patience. So we really need to find ways to make them to understand the, the core mechanics or the core gameplay or experience of it uh, to for them to stick around. Uh, whereby if it's actually a PC game and all that, I paid for the game, right? So because I already committed something, uh, even though if I play the game, uh, it wasn't as interesting in the beginning. I wouldn't drop it so easily because I already paid for it. I will just stick around and eventually, oh, actually it's quite cool. I, I spend a bit more time, I pick up and I understand more and I start to like it. So uh, mobile game has less of that advantage. So yeah. Um, yeah, so maybe you can help chart the things that you've observed about, about the industry, you know, then and now. I think like the early days, right, uh, when we make mobile games, uh, I think this is more from my perspective, uh, is, is really just trying to make, uh, trying to make games that is, uh, it actually is not like mobile or PC, just games and then, uh, just playing it on mobile. That's the, the, the starting off. This is the kind of mindset. And pe- when people go to play games, right, they have the same mindset as this game and then they want to play it on mobile. But then as the, the, the 
the industry or the player getting more and more matured, right? You can start to see actually now there's more game that is made for uh, mobile, which is like to feed the mobile usage and lifestyle. So it's kind of like have its own uniqueness. So I think one of the things that people start to see a bit different or people complain about uh, mobile games is actually there is a lot of automation. Like, you know, uh, auto quest, like you, you, you don't actually need to walk there. You just press a button and then it helps you. Like nowadays, there's this very popular genre. It's called idle games where you can just put it there and then it will just keep generating or keep doing, making progress and all that. Right. So I think I see this as a things getting more and more mature and trying to feed to the way of playing games. So, uh, like, like I think it's a, it's kind of like a, product positioning people know better that when you want to it's like you want to watch a movie uh, versus you want to watch a drama so the kind of like way of telling story is a bit different so one is like designed a way that already kind of like in a series right it, it's a small episode thing and then try to lengthen the story a little bit kind of things whereby um, the movie itself is actually more compact okay. so I would see mobile game is more like a drama series where we like a lot of the Mobile gameplay is actually, uh, in certain way, we kind of make it a bit more length, lengthen the prayer progressions. So rather than give everything one shot, uh, like it is, uh, it's common that uh, mobile games have the waiting time that you need to wait for things to progress and all that. Uh, so it's like during lunch time, I do a bit of things and then it need, I, I leave it there and then later I come back, things progress and then I pick it up from there again and then I play. So rather than I need to sit down for two hours. I'm gonna say it's always some some game that is still there's always exceptions, but uh, the the majority of the mobile game now is this actually fits to the lifestyle that we you can pick it up and play and then you can drop it off and the game's still making progress. That was Yi Peng, founder and director of Kurechi, sharing his observations of the mobile gaming industry. We're going to make way for some messages. More after this, stay tuned. This is GG World Played on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, you're listening to GG Well Played. I'm your host, Hanif Baharudin. On the show today with me via Zancaster is Yue Peng. He's the founder and director of Kurechi, an independent mobile game studio that's based here in Malaysia that's responsible for successful IPs such as Tiny Guardians, Kings League and more recently, Post Night. We've been talking about the development and growth of the mobile gaming scene and we're going to pick up where we left off. I have a confession to make. I am not a mobile gamer. As in, I don't game on my phone. I, I, I'm more of a quote-unquote traditional gamer in the sense that I game on my console or PC. Um, so, so can you help perhaps, you know, walk me through the... You know the traits of of a of a mobile gamer, especially based on on your observation and also how you develop games. Because I understand that some of your, some of your games are very friendly for for mobile devices as well, right? You know, like, like sometimes we assume that all games must be played um, horizontally, but you know, I think some of your games are made uh, vertically, right? Yeah, portrait portrait mode, right? So which is I find quite interesting. So yeah, can you can you describe you know your observation of how the mobile gaming scene is like in terms of you know players' um, behavior and how you. I guess to a certain extent, tailor your games uh, to to fit that quite quite lifestyle, I suppose, or that that you know the, the way they behave. Uh, I think there's two way to put it because uh, I think for mobile mobile games, there's two type of mobile games as well. So one is actually uh, is the a bit more mainstream where you have the mobile or the PUBGs and all that, right? And where there's another side is like all kind of the mobile games, but that is uh, not multiplayer or that kind of things. So uh, maybe to come from our perspectives, actually. Um, it's actually quite true if you see the early days, right? 
uh, when Krejci, uh, the games that Krejci actually published, uh, we, that we work on, is actually a landscape where you have to hold it with two hands. Uh, because I think, like I shared with you just now, uh, because the early mindset that we have is actually uh, we play the PC games and our console games. We just want to make it to the mobile. And then to a point that actually uh, I got the chance to travel in Tokyo, uh, I was commuting and then I saw the people there holding phones with only one hand because they have another hand that they either have to hold on to the supports or they have to, they have briefcase or things to hold on to. And then, uh, whenever like the, the train, uh, reach a station or something, they actually have to reposition themselves before people are coming in, going up, right? So there's a time that I'm, I look at the, that scenario. I'm saying, Oh no, none of them can actually play our game because our game needs two hands. They can't even play, even if they know about game, even if they want to. So there's like, a, uh, I have this idea where uh, I want to challenge myself to design a game that you can play with just one hand so that when you're actually uh, commuting or like, you know, you only have one hand and you can still play the game. So this is what um, triggered us to actually uh, develop Postline. So Postline, actually, we have all the user interface designed a way that can be navigated with just one hand that you can do a lot of things. Uh, on top of that, actually, we're trying to like, you know, I, I love role-playing games. Uh, but the problem with me playing less and less mobile, uh, less and less role-playing game is because like usually when I play role-playing game, you need to commit a long period of time. Like, because there's a storytelling, right? Uh, you don't want to just like have a few dialogues and then stop there. And then when you come back, you have no idea what's the, the maybe the feeling is gone already. So, uh, when you try to uh, work on, uh, the post night, right? We actually have this uh, idea where on top of like you can play it on the go, where you just use one hand. We also design all the, quest line, the story to be very bite-sized. So it's a very small chunk. Like uh, it only takes one minute for you to complete a short part of story before continuing the next one. We created a go button in the middle. So this idea is actually whenever you pick up the game, you can just press the go button. It will just resume to whatever quest line that you are at. So basically you don't have to think what else I need to do. Just press go, you'll continue with whatever where you left off. So that was the idea. And it actually works quite well that time because like something new and something help people to be able to still get back into role playing game. Uh, this is not from our side, but there's an, another part that I can share is actually like um, you know like, like if you play PC games, I'm sure you play a uh, first person shooter or you play uh, Dota, right? The mobile games. So uh, both of this genre is actually quite popular in mobile space as well. So I think there's like Mobile Legends, uh, League of Legends, Wild Rift and all that, right? Uh, I think the majority difference, actually, you can see the game length is very different. Uh, one is about 40 minutes, one is about 15 to 20 minutes. So like the pacing and all that. So I think because when you play on mobile, right, uh, there's is a lot of distractions when you play and there's a lot of things going on. Like you play halfway, the SMS can come in, the phone call can come in and all that. So uh, the game length itself cannot be long because uh, the longer it gets, the more chances that you, the players will get into all this kind of like uh, disruption. Mm, okay, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, you mentioned mobile and you know other multiplayer games that are becoming a lot more popular these days. Uh, I know you said that yeah, your competitors are technically not other games, but I, I mean uh, other things on mobile devices these days. But how much of of you know, you know, I, I think because I remember uh, again, you know, looking at how long you've been in industry, and when uh, mobiles and other MMOs uh, started becoming a lot more popular, um, I think yeah, at one point they sort of like came to the industry and sort of like 
I guess became massively popular, right? To be fair, um, what's the what's the uh mobile gaming uh landscape like these days? Um, especially taking into factor, yeah, your your competition from that angle, I suppose. Um, is the scene divided into perhaps you know two different gamers in you know, those who play your League of Legends, your Mobile Legends, um, and those who play games like yours? So I think the landscape changed a lot. Uh, rather than saying that landscape change, it's more like uh, our behaviors changed a lot since last time. Uh, I think one way to look at it is actually uh, we don't change our phone that often anymore. In early days, right, you know, every one or two years, we want to change our phone because there's a leap there. There's big changes in terms of the tech. Uh, the phone gets better, battery life, performance, play cooler games and all that, right? Um, every generation is a built huge change and it's a brand new experience there. And then nowadays, if you change a new phone, right, technically you just transfer your data to it and then nothing much you can do actually. It's, it's like, oh, it's cool, it's new phone and then nothing much you are trying to explore it. I think it's, it's pretty much the same when it comes to uh, exploring new games. Uh, I still remember the early days, right, actually not just me, uh, a lot of my friends and others, like uh, we always go to the stores, like App Store, Google Play stores and all that, check out new games. Uh, to try to discover new things to play. And whenever you download a new game, right, it feels very refreshing. It feels like a new, whole new world that you just discover, oh, this is so cool, or oh, I've never seen this before, or oh, this gameplay is so refreshing, or so creative, and all that. And to nowadays, right, if you go to the store to download games, right, most of the game would somewhat feel the same. Like, but uh, it, they are definitely better. The graphics is better, the story is better, the sound is better, and all that. But, like, but then the better part is actually like, uh, a small progress is like phone like nowadays, like a phone becomes better, right? But you know, it's better in the camera or just a little bit here and there. And games are the same thing. The graphics just become better, but it's no longer uh, significant enough that you will feel like it's a whole new experience. So it makes people nowadays actually, uh, especially for mobile games, right? people actually less um, go to the store and just uh, find out games. So people tend to stick to the game they play. Uh, it used to be a lot of uh, the gappers keep throwing out a lot of game, like maybe can be a, a game in a month. So every month there's new games or like every three months make new games and all that. A uh, big company would publish uh, like five, six, seven, maybe 10 games in a year. So now you can see a lot of big company now they stick to like maybe one year, they only publish one or two games. Or uh, now people tend to trying to keep their players, uh, we, we basically call it the retention. So we try to keep the players in the game as long as possible because uh, one of major region is because game is getting more and more expensive to make. So you need the player to stay longer to maximize the profit or like uh, to even break even. Uh, like one thing that can, uh, another angle you can look at is actually like a lot of things is getting more and more expensive. Uh, like the cost of developing games is getting more and more expensive as well. But the problem is like games, right? We can't keep make the price more and more expensive. You know, like back then the game is actually uh, selling at this price. Maybe like 10 years later now, it's actually still about the same or even now worse, we have to make the game free or, or like um, discount bundle and all that or subscription to sell the game. So uh, developers actually have to find ways like, to, to how to uh, keep the, how, how to still stay profit despite the diamond cost getting more and more expensive. 
Mm, yeah, uh, thanks for bringing that up because that's precisely my next question, I suppose, or something along those lines. Um, yeah, so, so so let's talk about the business model of of developing mobile games, right? And also to a certain extent, yeah, um, selling mobile games. Um, does it make it more quote-unquote flexible these days that you have multiple options to approach it, right? Especially uh, based on your track record as well, history, uh, your history. Um, I think some of your older IPs like um, Tiny Guardians uh, you know games before post night where you just sell them as is you know like you know you pay pay like a one off fee and then you can play the game whereas with post night you decided to go on that that premium model right um, and especially now where I think yeah there is that expectation for mobile games to be free as well as um, you know the game or as a service model um, which one is technically more profitable or more beneficial for the company, uh, uh, for, for, for a company, you know? Especially um, taking into factor that, yeah, you, you have that multiple options to sort of like uh, sell your games to your customers now. I think there's no uh, such thing like a most profitable way because uh, maybe it used to have one, uh, like for example, uh, Gacha is, is like people don't like it, but then Gacha is the most profitable one. But doesn't mean that we can just make gacha game and it works because uh, if you wanted to make a gacha game, right, which is proved to be very, very profitable, uh, the entry barrier is actually very high. People who play gacha game have very high expectations because this thing is very profitable. It makes all the developers willing to invest more when they are making gacha game. Uh, and then it's when all company trying to uh, bump up the production qualities, right? The cost become more expensive. So like for most small studio like us, if you want to make gacha game, right? Uh, we can have this gacha mechanic, but doesn't mean that we will attract the people who are willing uh, or into the gacha games. So that, that's more like, a, uh, although there's this seems to be very nice uh, way to monetize that, but it comes with expectation. Uh, even though like now games as a free to play model, there's still a lot of, uh, different, different way to actually to do free to play. Uh, there's like, uh, free to play entirely free. So, uh, maybe there's a developers that just want to put out a game, let people know about the game, maybe get data, get analytics, get feedbacks and all that, right? There's still people do that entirely free. Uh, they'll be entirely free, but supported with advertisements. Uh, so whenever you play, uh, you are being served with the ads every few rounds. Uh, usually these are, we call it a hyper casual game. So the bit like the mini games that we can, that the processions maybe just 30 seconds to a minute, right? Then you are loose and you lose, you'll see the ads and then you try again, high score based game. Um, even the ads, there's multiple versions as well. We call it the intro shows ads where like it just overlaid it on top. And after that, you can exit the way you can close it. Uh, there's also like a banner one. It's always at the bottom. Uh, but there's another called rewarded ads. So rewarded ads is something that we, uh, the only ads that we actually use it in our games, uh, is actually something where, uh, the player opt-ins to watch the ad. So, uh, we, for example, one thing that we have is actually like uh, our, the, the shops in post nights is actually like a, it will refresh every four hours. So basically there's different, different deals and different materials offering to the players. Uh, if there's nothing that you want or uh, you somehow buy everything already, uh, you can wait for four hours later and then uh, it will refresh with a new stock and then you can see what else you want from that. Uh, but we do open up an option, like, but if you don't want to wait, you can watch an ads. Uh, we call it the rewarded ads, and then we will instantly refresh for you after the watch is end, after the, the advertisement ads. So something like a incentivized player to watch the ads uh, rather than force it to them. So there's all this different way. Uh, after that, free come with, we call it the in-app purchases, where you can buy things, uh, where you can buy to unlock content. 
So, uh, I, like for example, there's this new chapter of the story on this new character that you want. You can just pay upright and then, uh, you can get it. Like buying skin is one of it. Uh, they have access to certain things. And then after that, uh, it's still in that purchases, uh, that people to do gacha. Basically, you don't get the skin directly you want. You have to, like, roll the dice and then get lucky then you get that item and then to i think there's more uh modern one uh which is i think it's not very uh widely applied yet is actually subscriptions where you can uh subscribe for it and then you get premium currency or you get certain extra bonuses uh here uh experience buff and all that uh, as a vip players or something like that but you have to pay subscribe through the subscription service like every month you have to renew and all that so there's all this different way Despite the game itself is free, yeah. Mm, yeah. So, 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 I guess the mobile platform allows for that that kind of approach, right? Because I think, I mean, to be fair, the non-mobile platform has been um, introducing these different approaches, I suppose. But uh, like I said earlier, you know, sometimes it can be quite contentious. I mean, that people seem uh, to still antagonize game as a service as much as a lot of games have been released follow that model, right? You know, your your Fortnite, you know, your PUBGs and all. So, so, uh, but, but within the quote unquote the traditional, the more traditional gaming scene, I suppose, um, there is still that little bit of hesitancy towards, towards the approach. I, I assume this is not really the case with the mobile landscape, like the mobile industry, where I think the mobile gaming scene is a bit more receptive and open to the idea of like, okay, you know, it can be a bit of everything, right? You, you can either charge us a one, one of feet and that's it, or, you know, you can adopt all these different approaches. Um, gamers are still open to, to, to playing without, without that level of antagonization, right? I suppose. I think this one, uh, my observation is actually, uh, I think this is like actually not just to game. I noticed, like, for example, uh, if my first game that I play is actually a PC game and it's a very traditional, uh, business model that I pay for it, I buy, I have to buy the CD and I played it, right? And I kind of like, shape this mindset. Uh, I always think this is the, this is the more legit one. And then where, like, when I get introduced with the mobile games, right? Even that time myself as actually the developers, I'm also not very uh, into the free-to-play model. It takes me many years to actually kind of accept it. Uh, because I started with the era with the uh, all this traditional business model. But, but if you uh, ask the, the newer generations, right, when they actually, the first time when they play, right, they only play games that with all this all sort of creative monetization methods, right? Uh, they pretty much are okay with all different things. It doesn't actually bother by it's either it's ads or, or gacha or, or this subscriptions and all that. It's, to them, it's actually very straightforward. So I think it's, it's like people who never used eVolet before. Uh, you want them to transition to use eVolet. It takes time. But for a younger generation, when they come out, right, they, maybe the doesn't even, even use much of cash. The, the primary methods of them is already eVolet. They can absorb it a lot faster. I think it's a pretty much the same thing as like, uh, the, the, what we have been through, it shapes a way that we think. Yeah. Ah, that's really interesting. I guess I'm tattoo as an extent showing my age as well. And yeah, I think at one point, um, it's determined by the demographic, right? I think, I think, um, so yeah, maybe it's later down the road, you know, in the future, yeah, it will be normalized, I suppose, right? You know, people will just accept that, oh, these are the ways you consume video games, right? You know, via a lot, lot of these multiple ways, multiple monetization ways rather than the traditional way, quote-unquote, right? That's, yeah, that's, that's a good perspective. Um, yeah, um, so can you perhaps uh, help us understand a bit better what's the mobile gaming industry like, uh, especially locally in Malaysia, you know? As one of the, I guess, one of the early early players in the industry, yeah, what, what, what has it been like so far? 
I, I'm definitely not the expert in this one uh, because I am the type where usually I will cave in and just keep making games uh, rather than like being very social about this. Uh, but there's one thing that I noticed recently is actually um, uh, before the pandemic uh, or like it's more towards like 2017 to 2019 uh, is actually uh, the, is we can see the Malaysia uh, game development industry is just growing. There's more people start to come in and make games. And uh, it's often uh, we all started with we want to make a mobile game. Uh, but then things change after the pandemic, right? And after I go out for events, and then uh, like last year and this year, I go to events and I talk to the people in the industry now, right? Uh, things change. They, uh, mobile games no longer their first choice. Now they actually, uh, PC game users their first choice to when they make their first game. So this is uh, one of the interesting change to it. So uh, I do spend a bit of time to trying to think and understand what causes this. Uh, I start to think and then uh, I come to a small conclusion, but it's not like 100% true, but it's more like uh, because nowadays it's getting very, very difficult to uh, get people notice your game on the mobile platforms because um, the amount of games that being published uh, in a day or in a week or in months is so much, right? Uh, lost, basically you can't count. Uh, so, uh, you, you put out mobile games, uh, there's no people will be able to notice it. Whereby if you now, uh, make a PC game, put it out on Steam, right? Uh, the amount of new games coming out from Steam is not as much as on the mobile platform. So it's kind of like still had a chance to let people to notice your game and to play it and try it. Uh, perhaps this is one of the reasons, uh, more people now shifted to or the PC site rather than making the mobile game. Mm, yeah, that's pretty interesting. Uh, because I think to a certain extent, as much as I think um, I can understand it, I, I sort of foresee the barrier to entry for, for mobile games are still relatively lower compared to, um, I guess, uh, traditional games, right? I think whether on PC or on consoles, right? So I think in terms of capturing the, 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 mar- the market base immediately, I think maybe the assumption is that mobile games are more accessible, I suppose, but, you know, on the developer side of things, maybe, yeah, in terms of the visibility, because of the high number of competition, is much more difficult to perhaps compete with a lot of other games that are out, out there, right? Yeah, I think maybe there's also one of the things that changed uh, uh, throughout the years is actually, like, it used to be when you want to publish out on Steam, right, you need to go through something like a green light, green lead com- campaign, like people need to vote and all that, so eventually you get selected. I think now it's actually just like you need to pay a fee, then you'll be able to publish it. So it kind of like make it easier to publish game there as well. Uh, so maybe that would some, some, somehow change uh, how people try to approach that. But I, I think the main problem is definitely like the, trying to get the, the visibility is the, the key here. Yeah. Mm. Is this a worry for Kurechi when, when you observe this? Yes, yes. It's definitely uh, like, the, I think the, the interesting part about when you are working in a, tech industry. I, I, I see game as a tech industry because technically games is a tech thing. Mm, yeah, uh, as, as no matter how many years you are in this industry, it's always like there's new thing that come out can just make whatever things that you have accumulated just seems like it wasn't uh, too meaningful. Uh, now we're actually at a stage that we are, uh, we have been updating and uh, improving the post-night 2 for about a year plus now. So uh, at one point, we wanted to transition to making new games. So uh, we also faced this difficulty where uh, for our next game, do we want to make a mobile game? Do we want to make a 
PC games and console games, or do we want to make a cross-platform games and all that, right? So uh, it's not an easy answer, although like uh, you can say like we make a lot of mobile games, we have experience, our next game 100% is a mobile games, right? But at the same time, I have to look into the mobile space, I was like, oh, can we even, uh, like two years, uh, two years from now, like can we even make a game that can still compete? So it's a question that we have to keep asking. Yeah, it's not easy. All right. So based on what you said there, Kurechi is toying with the idea of perhaps going beyond just the mobile platform, I suppose. You know, is that something that's constantly in consideration? And yeah, how 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 much of a difference will that change the the way you work? Considering if you were to actually want to start developing uh, games from other platforms rather than mobile. Oh, we actually do have the experience to make uh our PC games and like for example, our Tiny Guardians is actually uh both uh mobile and also on Steam. Uh, we have Kingsick 2 that is actually uh, published on Apple Arcade where we have, like, you play on uh, the iPhone, iPads, right? But you can also play on Apple TV with controller, play on Mac uh, with controller as well. So we kind of have the experience like making a uh, different platform. I think also to a certain extent is actually like when we're actually developing games, right? Uh, we actually not start from the platform first. We tend to go from the idea first uh, and then we look into this idea what works better in what platform instead. Yeah, so that would help us to decide more because I think still idea go first because there are certain ideas definitely works better uh, on mobile platforms because of the touch control, perhaps the player behaviors, uh, that kind of gameplay and content looks better. But there are certain games that it works better with controller, right? For example, actions and all that. I think it still works better with uh, a proper uh, input, especially the tactile one. Uh, so if let's say if our next thing is more into the action one, I would say like uh, perhaps the the PC console will be our primary platforms, and then uh, we are still use our knowledge and experience on mobile and still make our game available on those devices as well. All right. Okay. Fantastic. And speaking of which, um, like you said earlier, you're still um supporting a post night two. But are you also working on other projects that will be released in the future soon? <laughs> uh, soon, maybe not so soon. Uh, but then definitely, uh, it's already, uh, we already initiated the, the discussion, uh, early, uh, like actually now it's already March, right? So in, in January, uh, we already start discussing about it because, uh, one of the things that we start discussing early, uh, is because we do not want to, like, you know, like, uh, we wait until, let's say, May. We want to make new games. Then in May, right? Then only we start to, uh, then we want to make decision what game to mix and then we kind of like make a decision within that one month and then our experience our research or whatever thing is based on that one month and then we make a decision that we're going to stick for that for the next one to two years i think it's kind of like uh, doesn't make sense uh so we kind of like uh, start it very early so we keep the conversation going on if the idea actually sticks actually is good right it will kind of like stick around until if it stick all the way through until maybe maybe that is a good idea that we should go proceed with so this kind of like uh it also gives a lot more opportunity for uh the, the whole team to um throw ideas and like changes idea because sometimes you throw an ideas right it's not the ultimate form yet so uh you have a very good ideas but then uh in Kriji uh I think I, I'm blessed with a lot of talented teammates as well so each of us will help to elevate the ideas to even better something that I now think of and then yeah so so I think we just need to have more time for the idea to evolve, to have the time to evolve before we decided to uh, start producing it. 
You're tuned in to GG Well Played and I've been speaking to Yi Wei Peng, founder and director of Kurechi, makers of successful mobile games that include Post Night, King's League and Tiny Guardians. If you'd like to listen to this episode again, look for the podcast on pfm.my. Our app available on the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also find this show and many others on Spotify. Do share your thoughts and the games that you play via our email ggwp at bfm.my. Don't forget to also follow the station on Twitter at BFM Radio. My name is Sanif Baharudin. Thanks for joining us. Game on and please take care. This has been GG Well Played. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.